Hello, welcome to a special Hops and Box Office Flops presentation. This is I Drink and He Knows Things, where Captain Cash, who you may remember from our Roger Corman's Fantasy Four Pod, joins me to break down the latest episode of the final season of Game of Thrones. Hops and Box Office Flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films. The bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. So Captain Cash, if you want to introduce yourself, go ahead. Hey everybody, you might remember me as... Uh, the thunderous wizard said from the Roger Corman episode, I promise to be less drunk this time. So this should be fun. So this is actually our second attempt at this. We did do one for the first episode. Uh, we both liked the first episode. I gave it a B plus in my review on revenge of the Uh, the second episode was better. Oh yeah. Um, I, so what we'll do is we'll offer our general reactions give uh, some lingering questions we may have, and then we're going to speculate wildly about what is to come when the shit truly hits the fan over the next four episodes. So general thoughts, what did you think of Night of the Seven Kingdoms as the episode is actually titled? Because they do release the episode titles after they air. As opposed to episode 69, which was just nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, honestly, it, I really, 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 really like this one um it the first episode was place setting because the first episode for every season is always place setting but this one felt like they were i'm trying to think of how to say this that it was given up giving you the okay this is it everyone everyone's gonna say their goodbyes all the the nice pleasant things you wanted from all of your your people get now because we're going to murder them next episode. Just FYI. It um, I, it had a lot of nice moments. And moments I didn't think we'd get. So uh, Jorah and Samuel Tarley, for example. Oh, yeah. like Obviously, and I, I did a review for this. I gave it an A. And I mentioned you know that you, you know all these characters are connected in some peripheral way. Mm. But the impact of that connection, in the, in, especially in Samuel's case, is is really big because... He was a kid who was sort of frightened, afraid, and broken uh, when he first got to the Night's Watch. And he's sort of, you know, in telling Jorah, like, your dad helped, make me, helped, helped me become a man, I thought that was pretty powerful. Like, and I want you to have this. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's funny you mentioned that there are a bunch of connections. Like, that's one of them. But in the very beginning, you're reminded, that, oh, yeah, Jamie was responsible for killing uh, D- Danny's dad. But the even crazier thing than that, Danny's dad was responsible for killing both John and Sansa's grandfather and uncle. Yes. And it just, yeah. this I think really encapsulated what has made Game of Thrones so popular over the last eight years, which is, yeah, I mean, the battles are great and the production quality is amazing. And I love high fantasy as much as the next guy, uh, probably more. But this was a chance to really spend time with these characters that you've got to love, uh, spend time really digging into their various connections and how deeply they go. I mean, 
I think if you had just watched this episode, you know, having little to no experience or being sort of casual in your Game of Thrones watching, you, we wouldn't get as much out of it because there's just knowing how everybody connects really, really, really changes it. Yeah, and there's so many, like, it's calling back to things that happened years ago. Or, oh, like, yeah. uh, in more heartfelt moments where somebody sort of admits, you know, like, like Brienne wanted to be a knight. Oh, sure. But it wasn't going to happen, right? So, like, that look she gives Podrick is like, don't you say a friggin' word, because I, I have pride, too. Yeah, yeah, sure, I always wanted to be a knight, but I still have my pride. Oh, yeah, and when you think about Brienne's backstory, right? So she, at the, at the beginning, before we saw any of this, her father put together this, this ball for who was going to win her, his daughter's hand. And all these high, lordly, you know, noble young men vied for her hand, only for her to find out, oh, actually, they, it was all just a joke. And they were just seeing who, you know, who could embarrass her the most. And I think that look she gives Podrick is, I don't want that to happen again. I, I can't have that happen to me. I've got, this is the thing I wanted most of all. If this gets snatched away from me, it's the end. And to see her get that look or give that look to Pod, like, is this really, is this for real? And Pod give her the kind of nod just meant so much. And God, that smile she has when she finally becomes Sir Brienne. Oh, it's going to kill me when they murder her next episode because they are going to murder her next episode. Yeah, that was one of the questions. Uh, my lingering questions, or maybe wild speculation, we could get into a little bit later. Is just who who's going out next episode? Because I wrote my review that this was Captain Quint giving his speech about the Indianapolis in the day before they encounter this massive shark. Like we're all going to die for the most likely, and I I know that because one time I almost died along with the hundreds of other people. Yeah. It's like, you know, the conversations we're here were a lot more fun. They were loose. People were like, you're looking at these people that in any other circumstance could not be in the same room together. Mm. And they're all coming together for this common purpose. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, like in, on any given day, Tormund and Jamie would maybe fight to the death. Yeah. <laughs> so. Over it was just, end, it, no less. Yeah. I know, because there's there's some there's some glances going always, I, especially I, you know Jamie in the courtyard, like I'd like to serve under your command. I don't fight as well as I used to. Yeah, I mean, I I think part of Tormund's egging on of Jamie and and his attempts to woo Brienne are part of what got Jamie to knight her in the first place. You know, he says, "If I were a king, I would knight you ten times over." And I think that he's there to give Jamie the idea of, shit, I can do that. It was a little bit of gamesmanship. Yeah. Like, oh, well, you're not actually a knight. You're just a guy who's a psycho and everybody yeah. loves you. But I'm oh, a knight. I mean, I so love Tormund. He's fantastic. Yeah. I, after the knighting that Jamie or that Brienne got from Jamie, that Tormund doesn't stand a chance. I feel uh -oh. bad for him. It's like, it's oh. With with that, your chances just disappeared, buddy. Yeah, if she dies looking longingly into somebody's eyes, it's Jamie Lannister, guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but I mean, and just uh, the thing I I took away from it, and I know people are already writing about the Mad Queen Danny 
which to me is always kind of smacked no small part of misogyny. But like you have to appreciate how put upon Danny is this episode. Like I feel bad for her. Like in, in short order, so she runs court for the first time at Winterfell. She's got this guy who, you know, from from the time she was a child, she's been told, we got to kill this guy. He killed our father. He's the worst thing ever. And the first thing all her advisors do is tell her, don't kill that guy. And she's like, okay, fine. I'm not going to kill this guy. Then she gets the news that, oh, Cersei Lannister actually lied. You're not going to get any troops. Oh, and by the way, even if you survive this, there are 20,000 fresh troops coming to kill you. So now she's got her advisor who's giving her shit. Then Sansa meets Theon, who Danny thinks, well, hey, this is my guy. Yara and, and, and Theon are my pirates. But Theon shows up and goes, hey, I'm here to fight for Winterfell. And that's one more person where Danny's like, God damn it. All right, fine. You're with the Starks too. Then she has the conversation with Sansa, and Sansa is like, No, we're the we're the North. We after this is over, we are still the North. And Danny's like, I'm gonna rule the seven kingdoms. The North is one of those. And then at the end, her lover goes, Oh, and by the way, I'm actually the heir to the Iron Throne. Like, Danny had a shitty day. Well, that, what that that was at the end of the first episode, right? No, so John, John learned that he was Aegon Tar- Targaryen at the end yeah, of the first okay. episode. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. episode, he tells Danny. So, in short or order, she's been denied justice for the death of her father. She's had at least one, really two of her vassals, in no uncertain terms, tell her their loyalties are elsewhere, and just had her lover tell her oh, by the way, you're not actually going to have the Iron Throne because technically I'm the king. Which, I don't think that was, that's not John's intention, but that's no, definitely how I think Danny took it. So that's how I, she okay. she took it, for sure. Yeah. But, as I mentioned in our Lost Pod that is now somewhere in the ether of the internet, it's in the quantum realm, if you think that John's going to somehow turn into like this guy who lusts for power, you don't, yeah. you fundamentally don't understand who Jon Snow is. Yeah. So, she may think that, but we know better. He's not that guy. He's a guy who is a reluctant leader, and his really, really his only goal is to make sure that the people that serve under him come out of things okay. Yeah. He doesn't but, want to bear the weight of being the king of the Seven Kingdoms. Oh, no. Yeah, which is kind of why I feel like he winds up as king of the Seven Kingdoms, only because he would hate it the most. And I will also say, if... I didn't know that people were saying like, "Oh, she'll be the Mad Queen." I don't, I don't buy into that at all. I think that's sort of ridiculous because Cersei's yeah. the Mad Queen. Cersei's oh, the one yeah. who witnessed power and its corruption and failed to learn any lessons from it. In fact, she only got worse. Right? Her yeah. desire for power absolutely—you can almost see how she's changed. Not only like in her personality, she was always a little crazy, but like physically, the way she looks at people, she's a psychopath. Like oh, yeah. she has, she has no empathy. She's she's been her spirit has been transformed. Like she will do anything to maintain power, anything. Yeah. Hard agree, and I think for in her opinion, it's all right. So what if everybody north gets murdered by the White Walkers? You know, so long as I'm queen, that's all that matters. So either she's, they'll succeed and beat the White Walkers, and then I'll send in my troops, and I'm queen. Or they'll get murdered, and then screw it, we're all get murdered murdered too. Either way, I'm still queen. 
It's all very short-sighted. It reminds you of a certain orange maniac. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Um, So, now, uh, lingering questions from this episode. I don't really think there are many. I mean, I think, obviously, you can ask what's going to happen now that she knows that John's the rightful heir. Do you have Mm -hmm. anything that really sticks out? You know, I don't think I have a lot of questions because I feel like I can kind of read the tea leaves a little bit and see where things are going. But I know a lot of people might have questions about the song that Pod sings at the end, the song Jenny of Old Stones, which for book readers, this is this gives you kind of a, a wink and a nod about what could or might be happening or, or it could just be a nice song that they invented. But I can tell you that song is supposedly written by Rhaegar Targaryen, uh, which is Danny's brother. And it's that song that he played at a tournament that won Lyanna's heart. Apparently, in the books, they say that even Cersei Lannister cried when she heard Rhaegar sing this song. The song itself is about the wife of one of the Targaryen princes. So the previous Aegon, Aegon V, um, had a son who he named Duncan. Duncan gave up his right to be king so that he could marry a common woman, Jenny of Old Stones. And unfortunately, basically everybody in that house died in something called the Tragedy of Summerhall. And this song is about Jenny going back to Summerhall and dancing amid the ruins of Summerhall, remembering happier times. So I feel like this points at, one, where Rhaegar came from. And Rhaegar is the the prince who was promised, but also hints at, a prince giving up his crown for someone he loves. So I feel like that's what Jon Snow is trying to do. It's funny because, you know, when he says it, Danny very obviously interprets, you know, well, you're the, the heir then? What do you mean? When I think what Jon was trying to do is say, uh, you're my aunt and this is weird now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's my one lingering question. Yeah. The, the three-eyed raven. Yeah. I'm going to need more than, I'm the writer of history. No, you're a weirdo who sits in your chair and just stares blankly at people. And obviously Tyrion got the scoop on what the Three-Eyed Raven really is. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure we'll come to find out. But it's like, I'm going to need a little more of that, pal. I'm the writer of history. <laughs> Without me, Ooh, there is no history. Okay. All right. So I, I kind of think part of that might have been Bran handing off to Sam. Because they have that interplay where Sam says, oh, well, you're, you're the repository of all knowledge. I feel like that's Sam's impetus to become the person who writes this story. I think that's where this ultimately goes. Because Sam is very much the G.R.R. Martin self-insert character. And I feel like that's how this ends, that Sam is the writer of history. He, he lives on to tell the tale of the war for the Seven Kingdoms. Exactly. And that... Even though Bran dies, he'll be Sam is around to write the history so that the history doesn't really die. That's that's my guess. Huh. Okay. All right. So, any wild speculation you have, or who's gonna uh, die? Oh, who's episode? gonna die? Uh, next episode uh, on the chopping block. A hundred percent sure. Theon is definitely dead. Baron yeah, he's Dondarrion dead. is definitely dead. I think Brienne is probably going to die. Unfortunately, yes. I think I 
I kind of think Tormund could die as well with Brienne for the same reason that, you know, I don't think Tormund would let Brienne die without killing without herself putting to up try a, to save her. Yeah. yeah, putting up a fight. I think Davos is probably gone because he's faced down the ghost of Shireen in that, that uh, young woman. I think Gilly is probably going to die. Oh, shucks. Yeah, I feel like she's going to... She's going to die because that the the little girl she convinced to defend the crypts is going to get is going to get turned and then Grey Worm is definitely dead. Well, here's what I'll say. Uh Davos is the only guy I don't think out of that list. Mm-hmm. I picked him to survive. I feel like he's just one of those guys like, you know, that'll be muttering to himself in a bar in Flea Bottom. Yeah. 30 30 years on like you don't know what it was like. And he survives all these crazy battles, and he's not really a fighter. It's kind of his yeah, thing. That's true. Theon is absolutely dead. Oh yeah. Uh, We're gonna put you with the knight with the with Bran, who the Night King is coming after. Oh yeah, perhaps, sure. <laughs> perhaps the most flawed. First of all, the guy's got half a hand. What's he gonna do? Yeah. Like, he's, he's not. A, a, he's a good arrow. He's got. He's, he's not exactly. Uh, he's not exactly in great peak physical condition. That, uh, that whole plan in general. Oh, we're going to lure him out. So to me, that means, oh, yeah, he's warging the dragon. Because otherwise he's dead. He's a sitting duck. Mm. He's just going to sit under a tree? <laughs> Come on. The guy can throw a javelin 700 yards. <laughs> through a dragon. <laughs> yeah, through a dragon. Faster than Nolan Ryan ever threw a fastball. Guy can, <laughs> guy can hurl things. It's a bad idea to sit under a tree. Put put all of his D and D points into thrown weapons. Yeah. Uh. So that's my big thing. I think he's. There's no way he doesn't warg into the dead dragon. We'll see, because I don't. I don't know. It hasn't been shown that he can warg into stuff, and he hasn't really done it much since he left. Since he became the Three Eyed Raven. Yeah. Right? In the like book, he, though, he, he does it constantly. Oh yeah. Like he's warged into a couple birds and that and the Night's King can see him. Is it the Night King or the Night's King? Whatever. I think he's uh, the Night King. Yeah. But he, he warged into a flock of ravens, and the Night King saw him. Yeah, he knows somehow. where he is. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know that... So if he wargs into is, the dragon... Yeah, I don't it, know. It forces the Night King's hand. He has to kill his own dragon. Dragon's already dead? I don't know. Eh, we'll see. All that stuff's real sketchy to me. You yeah. know, zombies... As a principle, I understand these are magical zombies. But it's like if a body's dead and decaying, it shouldn't be better fighter than it was when it was alive. Obviously, uh, these guys died for a reason because they all weren't good fighters. So they shouldn't be, <laughs> they shouldn't be tougher now. Magic zombies. Don't, don't overthink it. Magic yeah. zombies. Speaking <laughs> of, though, it's nice that you bring that because my wild speculation is, and I watched this last night, they no less than four times say, the crypt is the safest place. Oh, yeah. Bad foreshadowing. Yeah. So I'm going to guess the crypt isn't the safest place. And I'm further going to guess that the Night King can raise the dead in the crypt. Because we've already seen that he can raise skeleton zombies. They don't have so, to be fresh Yeah. to do that. So Sweet. Ned Stark's back. Let's go. That's kind of... Honestly, I feel like Ned Stark would come back. But the only the only challenge with that is... He doesn't have any skin left. Catelyn got his bones back, and that was it. Right? Well, so, I don't know. I mean, Army of Darkness, there's a lot of skeleton uh, soldiers. 
Right, but how would you know it was Ned Stark's skeleton? I mean, they can show him come out of... Well, he'll die first. That's how you'll know. <laughs> the, the skeleton who's holding his head under his yeah. arm. That's... Oh, it's Ned, shit. He's got a little hand of the kingpin. <laughs> but we saw in the previews that Arya is freaked out about something running through the uh, running through Winterfell, and I and I was trying to think, well, what would freak Arya out? And the only thing I could think of is someone that she loved got turned into a zombie, and I thought, okay, maybe Gendry or Sansa, but I feel like Sansa will probably make it. Could be Gendry, but what would really freak her out is her dad come back to life. <laughs> The only problem yeah. is, how would she know it's her dad? That's where I get stuck. Or the long-awaited return of uh, Sirio Pharrell. This whole time, he's back! Yeah. I choose to believe he lives on. I told you about that. I think there's like that fan fiction where he and Jogger, whatever... Or, Jogger, uh, are, are the same yeah. guy? So they it live is. on some island together. I think Sirio Pharrell is Jack and Hagar. <laughs> It's a little convenient that both of the guys from Bravos happen to be watching over Arya, and it's a little convenient that a faceless man was in the Black Dungeons at all. How hard how, he he's a faceless man. How easy would it he, be for him to escape? He chose yeah, to get caught. Yeah. He was there on purpose. He was there yeah. for a specific purpose, which was to meet her and carry on her transformation into sort of a badass. Yeah, and I, like it, I, it was I've no seen... coincidence that he met her and fulfilled these things for her. Yeah, she was chosen. And I, I've heard some people speculate that you know training Arya up to be one of the these badass fighters as uh, an agent for the God of Death because that what the Night's King is doing is counterintuitive to what the House of Black and White is all about, right? The Night King is bringing people back from the dead and theoretically robbing. The uh, the gods of death, his his toll or whatever. So by sending Arya to like balance the scales, that she's become the the House of Black and White's chosen one or the Faceless Man's chosen one. I I feel like that's stretching it pretty far, but it, I feel like a case could be made for it. That's interesting. I will say this: good riddance to Grey Worm. You your romance has plagued me long enough. <laughs> Oh, what a what a worthless subplot! I can't he, wait. Get rid of it. Just three days away from retirement. Yeah, it, the old uh, the Danny Glover. Yeah. As soon as this is over, we'll we'll leave, and I'll actually betray betray my queen. Take off <laughs> well, for the that, south. That's the thing I thought was kind of funny too. It's like we'll just leave, and I'll take some of the insolid. I'm like. I you're in the service of the queen. I don't think you're just allowed to do that. But I, yeah, mean, I, I mean, guess if you asked, Danny would probably be okay with it. But She'd probably grant him. I mean, she already granted yeah. them all their freedom. But to just be like, yeah, I'm taking off. It's like, no, you owe her your life. You know, you got a, <laughs> you got a debt to pay, my friend. Well, I, I guess he would think of it as, okay, as long as I put her on the Iron Throne, my debt's absolved. I get to ask a boon, which is fine. It's not going to matter because he's definitely getting murdered. Next episode, or uh, they'll kill him the sand day. I've been waiting so long for that nonsense to stop. It's so annoying. It's like I get it. You're trying to give these people something to do. Yeah. But it came out of nowhere, and now it's just like filler, and it's a waste. There's so many well, better characters I'd rather spend time with. And it, it, you're absolutely right because you can kind of tell that they're like, well, "What are we? 
because the Enceladid are a big contingent of the army, you need to have some kind of POV character, and that's what yeah. Grey Worm is, along with just the other people that Danny has brought with her. So I, I get wanting to keep them around, and I get needing to have something for them to do, but yeah. I mean, for a while, I thought they were going to be brother and sister because Missande very pointedly says that she had three brothers who became Unsullied. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's going to... Obviously, it didn't play out that way, but... That'd be more know. interesting to me. I don't I don't mind the romance angle. It's something for them to do, and it's a non-traditional romance, which I guess is good. I, I, I don't know. I, I, of the storylines, it's it's among the more conventional i guess of will they won't they and it's yeah. like we've got nothing stopping you really i mean other than gray worm doesn't have a dick but you know <laughs> i would have preferred that he hang out in the drunken room with all the other soldiers who we love that, and, and, they, really... and like he would have not understood anything because you know he's a guy who was raised a slave all he knows is to fight and like just observing these guys who were like, you know, we did all this stuff, but we'd rather be drinking and having fun. Yeah. And looking back, all this was really stupid. Uh, well, he was trained to be a robot, basically. Yeah. So just like watching him observe yeah. Tormund discussing uh, drinking breast milk from a giant. <laughs> I, I love that bit of Tormund because in the books, Tormund is very much this larger than life, constantly telling crazy stories with a real distinct booming laugh. And I feel like this episode really gave us more of that from him. And I really, yeah. really enjoyed it. Remember in the, in the books, Mance Raider, mm. uh, didn't he inhabit somebody else's body? Like, isn't he still alive? Yeah. So in the books, Mance Raider takes the form of rattle shirt. Rattle shirt. I mean, yeah. This is how far, the the moot or the uh, I said the movies the show is past the books. Uh, Mance Raider is still alive. Uh, what's his name? The bastard of Bolton still controls Winterfell. That's as far as the books got. Jon Snow yeah. just got murdered. <clears throat> That's where the books ended. So <laughs> yeah, as I will say, like the Theon thing is to me is the most interesting. I know you hate him, I and hate I hated Theon. him for. Large chunks of the books in the show, but he has been through the worst. It's it's finally time he gets this moment of redemption. He his chapters in the book are overly difficult to get through. Mm. You know, well, like you see it on the show. He's tortured, but in the book, it's it's ten times as bad as they ever showed on the show. He is a human. He's a dog. He sleeps in his own feces. He lives in a cage. It's it's so miserable what the, he gets put through, and like you're always waiting for him to to find some shred of dignity yeah. and redemption. So I'm gonna be really happy, even though he's gonna die. He he more than it, almost anybody deserves his moment in the sun. Uh, I feel like there are a handful of characters, and this is probably better for later episodes that are on redemptive arcs, like. Theon and like Jamie, who the yeah. only way this ends is you you die. Like you might we might like you, but you've done enough terrible shit that the only way your story ends is in death. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's at all sort of wild to speculate that Jamie enters this story 
or exit this story as we knew him to enter it. He betrays. He's the king slayer. He's the queen slayer. He kills yeah. Cersei. And that's just the way it's the poetic, you know, when she says poetic justice and she hands Bronn that thing, it's like, oh, it's going to be poetic. All right. You're going to yeah. get shot in the back by your brother who you've just ordered this man to kill. Yeah. Because Bronn, for all his personal foibles, I do not think he would betray Jamie or Tyrion. See, I, I'm, I'm up in the air about that because if anything, Bronn has consistently shown himself to be a mercenary. And he might like Tyrion and he might like Jamie, but not more than he likes his own skin and not more than he values his being able to come out on top. True. So we'll see. But I, I won't be surprised if, true to his word, he's like, well, <laughs> I was hired to do it. Like, I think Tyrion will, will say, hey, I'll try to beat your price. And if he can, great. But I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, you look at it like this. Like, if you show up to Winterfell, by the way, Bronn lost in a race to Winterfell to a guy with half a hand. Uh, and the Night King lost in a race, and he's riding a friggin' dragon. The time scale <laughs> is killing me on this show. Uh, the, the, the Night's King was waiting for the rest of the Shambling Horde. That's not necessarily fair. They don't course. sleep. They don't have to pitch camp. Yeah, but they don't, like, sprint either. I mean, well, they depending on the situation. Yeah, uh, him getting from King's Landing all the way to Winterfell in what seems to be like six hours or twelve hours—it's—it's it's killing me in these later seasons because <laughs> half of the first season is them caravanning to King's Landing. Boats count as fast travel. It's just nuts. Yeah. Uh, at this point, I think you kind of have to go. All right, look, people are. Gonna I mean, be you just where have to. Accept. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, warping Tyrion in whatever season that was, where he's like, "Oh, I'm here, and now I'm here." And oh, it was, no, it was the Mockingbird. It was Littlefinger. Yeah, is like just teleporting all across the the seven. Yeah, kingdoms. he's like wheeling and dealing in every kingdom in the realm. It's yeah, like, what the hell is going on here? This guy can barely be bothered to like talk fast. It's a series of, of very swift horse teams that he rides with. That's the answer. Yeah. I don't know. All right, so anyway. that is uh, episode two, A Night in the Seven Kingdoms. And then uh, we'll reconvene for <coughs> episode three. Uh, we'll try and find some time uh, after it airs, and we'll do the same sort of thing, talk about the episode. Yep. We'll see if we were correct in assuming who's going to die. I think we mostly were. I think you're wrong about Davos. I think Davos will live on. We'll see. Because I, I think the warriors are the guys that'll die, and then that really creates this, like, oh, there's no hope. Like, we've lost all these people who really know how to fight, but we got the guy who carries his fingers in a pouch. So, uh, the only ones I know are guaranteed safe: Danny, John, uh, the Hound, Jamie, yes. and Tyrion. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because the, their stuff it has to play out not only on this front but on another. So, yeah, exactly. We are getting cocaine bowl, whether it kills oh, me. Get the hype. Yeah. Get it get it in a bag. Put it in a, take all the hype. Put it in a bag and bring it so we can have hype. I I'm not excited to watch Zombie Mountain just eviscerate the hound though. That'll break me up a little bit inside. <laughs> I really don't need that to happen. Here uh, final wild prediction. Clegane gets Beric Dondarrion's flaming sword, finds religion then fights the zombie mountain with the flaming sword 
the fire seems to be anathema to any of the zombies. We win. That's okay. All right. That's pretty wild. I like that. All right. So we'll be back next week. Stay tuned. Thanks for joining us. Peace.